Well, Father, we love you so much, and we thank you that we are your daughters and that you love us and that you care about us. And I pray right now, Lord, as we look into your work, as we look into your word and as we explore this really serious subject, I pray that you would pour out so much life, so much of your Holy Spirit um, into our hearts, Lord. We really, really want healing in our lives and we really, really want to be channels of healing to other people. So pour out your spirit today. Fill us to overflowing. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start out by sharing this, this story with you. I had a, I was a, I was in an accident when I was 16. I had 13 doctors and one of my doctors was my family doctor. He was about my dad's age and he was really loving to me. He saw me every day. He and my bone doctor, they were like the ones I saw every single day. My bone doctor was a Christian. He went into the chapel and he prayed for me all the time. And so I really saw these two men as fathers. And about a year later, I decided I would go into nursing. So I got a job as a nurse's aide. And one day this family doctor, he saw me and he said, um, can I talk to you a minute? And I was, I thought, oh, of course. So he took me through this door and then through another set of doors and then through another set of doors till I felt lost. Like I wasn't quite sure where I was. And it turned out it was the doctor's lounge, which of course nurses are never allowed to be in. And then he tried to, you know, kiss me. And um, I remember thinking, this cannot be happening to me. This can't be happening because this is someone I trust. This is my friend. And um, I, I, I mean, he's my dad's age and all these thoughts are going through my mind. And, and I was a brand new Christian and the Lord just spoke to me and he said, push and run. So I shoved him and I ran and I ran through all the doors and I got away. And after that, I saw him. Well, after that, I went home, I took a shower and then I took another shower and then another shower and then no, nothing had happened, but I felt so dirty and I, I never told anyone. I, I think the first time I ever told anyone this story was like five years ago. And um, then when I saw him again, he treated me exactly the same, like nothing had ever happened. And I thought, well, maybe that didn't happen. Like, maybe I just imagined that and it didn't really happen. And um, so I'm not saying that I consider that like in any way what anyone in this room has gone through. However... What it did do for me was it did open my eyes to that feeling of feeling so powerless and so um, just, I just felt so bewildered by the whole thing and so confused. And then when he acted like nothing was wrong, I thought, well, 
I had to have done something to make him do that because he's such a nice person. He wouldn't just do, and it was just a lot of weird stuff going through my mind. And of course, because I didn't talk to anyone ever, I didn't really process it for about 20 years. And I did have some other things that happened to me um, that I'm not going to go into tonight. Um, But I just want to open with that by saying that, you know, I'm not pretending to understand what some of you have been through. That's just my own small experience. But there were things that I felt that I know that some of you who have gone through that have felt. And so before I get started, I just do want to say this, and I felt like the Lord told me to open with this. I am so sorry for those of you who've been abused that you have ever been hurt. I am so sorry. And I wish that I had power within me to go back and change your past. I really do. And the truth is that we were created to live in a perfect world. And we live in a fallen one. And so when things like this happen to us, how do we emotionally process that? Because something in us cries out, this is not right. This isn't right. This is so wrong. And the reason we feel like it's so wrong is because Jesus, when he's talking in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6, he says, if any of you hurt one of these little ones, it would be better than a millstone be hung around his neck, and he'd be drowned into the sea. That is the Lord's heart. The Lord's heart is for children to be protected. The Lord's heart is for women to be protected. In 1 Peter 3, verse 7, he tells husbands to treat the wife with honor as the weaker vessel, knowing that we're co-heirs, with Christ. So what's he saying there? He's saying you're both equal in Christ. You're co-heirs. You have the same father. You have the same gifts. But I have set roles in place and the man's role is to protect his wife. It's to treat her with honor. And and then going taking that to a general principle Fathers protecting their daughters, brothers protecting their sisters. It's God's heart that men are protectors. And so if you have experienced a man who hasn't protected you, then I am so sorry. That's not God's plan. It is not God's heart. And um, we kind of live in a time when God created sexual intimacy to be inside marriage, to be part of loving, a loving, committed relationship. 
And I feel sometimes like, sometimes I complain to the Lord and I say, Lord, do you see how bad our culture is? Like, I mean, it is just so overwhelming. And he says, yeah, well, that's about what it was like when Jesus lived because the Romans and the Greeks were horrible. And so Jesus lived in the same kind of time that we live in right now. And it grieved his heart then. And that's why Jesus said, let the little children come to me. That's why if you look at how Jesus treated women, he treated women with so much honor. Who were the women, who were the first people who saw him raised from the dead? It was women. So we serve a God who places high, high value on women and protecting their purity. So one of the things that is important for childhood is for childhood to be a time of innocence. And I know, you know, there's a lot of homeschool moms in the room and we all, you know, one of the reasons we homeschooled was to protect our children. And sometimes in spite of all of our best efforts, our children weren't protected. And, you know, sometimes we thought, oh, this situation is protecting my children. And it ended up not protecting our children. And so the enemy, the way the enemy wants to destroy who we are in Christ through this area is to rob the innocence from childhood. So that's why it's so damaging because God created us to be innocent, to be pure, to be free. And when this happens, when we're exposed to stuff, and it doesn't even have to be to that degree, it can just be hearing words that you shouldn't hear, seeing magazines that you shouldn't see, seeing scenes in movies that are inappropriate for children. When you expose children to things that are for adults, it robs their innocence. Does that make sense? And so when that happens to us, it creates something in us that doesn't feel safe because we instinctively know that childhood should be protected. We instinctively know that there are certain people who should be safe. There are certain people that are father figures or mother figures or brother figures or sister figures, and they should be safe. And when they're not safe, it can leave us wondering, who do we trust? Is there anyone that is safe? And so if you have ever struggled in feeling that way, that is a normal response to what you have gone through. And the reason why is because it's God's will, his perfect will, that you would be safe. Do you guys follow that? Okay. So, um,
Okay, I'm going to read this scripture. Finally, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you learn from us how you ought to live and please God, as in fact you are doing, you should do so more and more. For you know, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that each of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no one should wrong or exploit his brother or sister in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, just as we have already told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God did not call us to impurity, but holiness. Therefore, whoever rejects this rejects not human authority, but God, who also gives his spirit to you. So before I go on and read that, I'm just going to cover kind of um, what is, for those of you, what is sexual abuse. At the beginning level, it's sexual jokes, it's crude comments. If your children have been exposed to that, that is a form of stealing their innocence. It's not fair to them. Um, if you have been exposed to that as a young age, I was as a young person, um, terminology that's too adult for the victim is another form of sexual abuse. And from there, it moves to things like pornography or exposing um, someone exposing themselves. Um, I grew up in a house with pornography and um, books with a lot of dirty scenes in them. And my parents had cocktail parties a lot. And after they had a little too much to drink, there were lots of dirty jokes. And I grew up around that when I was eight, nine, ten. And when I became a Christian, I just, the Lord just, you know, cleaned my heart and I, I wanted to be pure, and I asked the Lord to erase all of that from my mind, and he did. He erased all of it. And so the only time I remember that happened was when I am in a situation like now where I have to share that with someone and tell them God can clean your mind from things that you've seen that hurt you and damaged you. And, you know, a lot of times now, but when I say that, I want to be careful because as we get in further, it's very important for you to process what has happened to you. So don't take that step. You know, there's a difference between having the Lord clean your mind and just being in denial that anything ever happened to you, which a lot of people are. And I was talking to a grandmother one day, and someone had abused her grandchildren. And she said, I feel so sorry for the abuser. And I said, are you kidding me? I just, and then I felt like the Holy Spirit said, ask her if she's been abused. And I said, has this ever happened to you? 
And she said, yes. And I said, it's not okay. Not only did someone sin against you, but it is a legal crime. And we're going to talk more about that as we go on. Um, so anyway, um, pornography, exposing, and then inappropriate touching. And then finally, it's um, forcing children to engage in some kind of sexual act and then maintaining that relationship. Um, so all of that is sin. I'm just going to call it what it is because sexual abuse, it's not, it's not that someone is sick and has a problem. It's that someone has given themselves over by the hardening of their heart to commit evil. And that, I think, is very important for you to know if someone has ever abused you. That person, you did nothing to make them abuse you. That person has made a choice to do evil and do more evil and do more evil. And eventually the heart becomes hard. And then that opens it up for him to do even more evil. Are you guys following me with that? And um, I remember talking to a police officer one time and he said, Meredith, I cannot tell you how much sexual abuse is expanding and growing with pornography, expanding and growing. It's directly linked because that has a way of hardening the heart, which allows someone to do evil. But if you look at this passage that I read, it says that the Lord is an avenger in all these things. And there is something in our hearts that cries out for justice. And it's that anger that you feel. And when someone tells me that they have been sexually abused, I expect them to be angry. They should be angry because they were violated. It is wrong. It's a crime. Someone has sinned against you. And there's a righteous anger that rises up in someone that has been abused that says, this is not right, this is wrong, this is not okay. And God says he is an avenger. Right here when he's talking about purity and he's saying, don't sin against each other, he is an avenger. He will punish sin. And there are different ways that that will happen. Um, so one of the things that is the hardest is that when you live in a world like we live in where everything is sexualized. Have you ever been to a ballet re recital in the last 10 years? That's not a Christian one. And you see some of the outfits the little girls come out in that are five and six and seven. Have you ever in your heart gone, wow, that's like very sexual. Well, we live in a culture that sexualizes women. So what do girls want to do? They feel like when they're surrounded by that, they feel like, oh my goodness, 
if I'm going to get a guy's attention, I need to be pornography. I need to show off my midriff. I need to show off my cleavage. I need to show lots of leg because otherwise no one is going to notice me. And see, that's part of the lie of our culture. But God tells us to be pure and to be holy. Do you see what I'm saying? So there's that temptation in us to conform, but it's a huge, big picture. And then the culminating, well, let me just say this. Satan is never your friend. All the people that he's taking with him to hell, he does not like them. You know, sometimes we think that, I, I have so many friends from high school, they're like, yeah, I'm going to go to hell and I'm going to party, party, party. No, they are not going to party. They are going to be miserable. They are going to be in torment because Satan is no one's friend. He is not friends to his followers. He's definitely not friends to us. And so Satan's agenda in all of this perversion in our culture is to kill and destroy, to damage, to lie, to press down. And so when you see people and they're drunk, and I was at a wedding recently, and um, there was a guy there and he had, you know, his drink and he was drunk and he was dancing and he dropped his drink and it went all over the place and the little waiters came over and they swept it up. And I, I, my heart felt so sad for him because he has somehow believed that to enjoy life, he has to be drunk. Now, notice I'm not saying that it's ever wrong to drink alcohol. I'm not going to go there about alcohol. I'm just saying the Bible makes it clear it's wrong to be drunk. And so Satan's agenda for him is bad. It's not good. Satan doesn't care that he has a good time. So realize when we're looking at this big picture that Satan is not only destroying sexual abuse victims, he is destroying the perpetrators. And if you know who, if you, if you know the person in your life and you think nothing ever happened to them, and they have gotten away with it, do not be fooled. Don't ever judge by the outward appearance. It's either that God hasn't gotten around to it yet, but most likely he is already defending your honor and punishing sin. And I just say this because Jesus was very, very firm about the millstone. And I think when you have been a victim of sexual abuse and you have that sense in you that cries out for justice, you know, like the woman who comes to the judge and she says, will you give me justice? And the Lord says to you, I am an avenger. And I will bring you justice. I felt like there was someone who needed to hear that. I had not planned to say that. <laughs> so whoever needs to hear the, that. Um, but um, so why if 
sexual abuse is a sin, an evil sin and a crime, why do victims feel so much guilt and shame? And I don't think I've talked to one girl, one woman who's been sexually abused who did not struggle with guilt and shame. And um, so why is it? Well, the number one reason is called grooming. It's the process of grooming, and I don't have time to go into it tonight, but I did do, I just did a radio show on that. Poor Laura had to edit it, and she was, it, it was a hard show, right? But I walked through the whole process of how abusers groom their victims, and um, it is why, you know, and I am so ashamed to say this, but one time I was talking to someone who had been sexually abused, and I said, why didn't you run? Because I didn't understand the process of grooming and how it breaks down the spirit and it breaks down all the boundaries and it ends up in the end that the perpetrator will say things like, if anyone finds out what we're doing, we'll be in a lot of trouble, which is a lie because the truth is if anyone finds out what you are doing, you will be in a lot of trouble. Do you see what I'm saying? So grooming is very manipulative. It begins with, you know, if it's a very close, a very, very close relative, they'll withhold affection and then begin to give special affection and attention to a certain person. And they'll begin to keep secrets with the person they will say things like, say it's not apparent. They'll say things like, you know, you and I are so much alike that, you know, my parents never understood me. And it sounds like your parents don't really understand you. Things like that. The very manipulative touching starts. It's not sexual. It's loving. It's friendly. And it just keeps going. That's why... Um, we talked about toxic relationships. Healthy relationships are always inclusive. There's always room for more people to come in. They're not exclusive. And when you find yourself getting into an exclusive relationship where someone wants you just to themselves and to push everyone else away, that should send off warning bells. Maybe they're not a sexual predator. That's not what I'm saying, but there's something dysfunctional there. So now I'm not saying that, you know, like married couples shouldn't have time alone. That's not what I'm saying, but you know what I'm saying, right? Um, so one of the processes is grooming. The other is that uh, when someone is abused, they feel powerless to make it stop because they have been manipulated into this thing and so then they feel powerless to get out. And the powerlessness is not real. It's an illusion that's created by the abuser. If someone abuses you that is well-liked, it's very hard, isn't it, to say, hey, you know, this is what this person did. Because the person will think, well, who would ever believe me? Well, I will believe you. If you ever come to me, I will believe you. I will believe you. Um, 
the other, and I wanted to share this with you. We were reading City of God a couple years ago by St. Augustine. St. Augustine lived in the 400s. He was a bishop of Hippo in Africa. And at the time, it was part of the Roman Empire. And Rome was falling. And the barbarians were invading. And what happened? What happens when soldiers invade? They rape the women. And all these women, these beautiful, godly women who loved the Lord, these nuns, they were being raped. And so St. Augustine, I never, I had never realized this. Like he goes chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter to say, you are pure. You are undefiled. You didn't participate in this. This was done to you. You are pure. And you think, of course they're pure, St. Augustine. Why would you even say that? Because he probably counseled with them. And they told him, I feel so much shame and I feel so much guilt. And so he wanted to erase that lie. When someone does something to you, it does not make you unclean. When you are a victim, it does not make you unclean. And I want to address something else because many women will say to me, but the truth is, it felt good sometimes. And so this is what I would say. Your body parts are working. God created your body parts to respond to certain things. And if in the process of what happened, even if you don't want it to happen, your body can betray you because that your body was meant for your husband or a man's body for his wife in a private committed relationship. And so if that happens, it is not because you want it. It is because the way your body is, it is just working the way it should. Do you guys understand that? Because that is so significant. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with people about that. Very, very important to understand. Um, so, um, one of the things that you have to realize, and please don't be offended, teenagers, but... Um, the teenage brain, the child brain, it's not adult. It doesn't think clearly. Uh, the brain actually, 25 is when your brain is finally adult. So Marissa, two more years. Two, four, three. So, but that, so you can be manipulated into something your thought processes are not there yet. And I don't mean to insult you. I'm just telling you, you know, physiologically what the truth is. So someone who is 17 can be manipulated into being abused. Do you understand? Okay. All right. So um, another thing I wanted to talk about was how sexual abuse is related to the demonic because um, 
there is demonic involvement in sexual abuse, and it is something to be aware of. Um, okay, this is from Revelation, when the um, plagues are going out at the last times. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the, the power of the horses, remember the plagues with the horses, is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. So a third of mankind is destroyed, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plague if I was there and I saw this plague kill a third of mankind, I would repent. But they don't. It says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear. And they did not repent of their murders nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality or their thefts. He's grouping these things together as one. He's saying these people were worshiping idols. They were worshiping demons. And so what accompanied that was sorcery, sexual immorality, and um, what was the last one here? And thefts. Um, so one of the things that's interesting this isn't interesting. It's horrible, actually. I do have a friend whose grandparents were um, Satan worshipers, and they actually do everything you can imagine. I'm not going to go into it, but she was involved in some of their rituals. And one of the things that you can look from the beginning of history till today Anytime you have Satan worship, anytime you have witchcraft, you have sexual immorality. And sacrificing a virgin is usually sexually abusing her rather than actually. So why, why is that? Why, why, why do you think that is? And I, I will tell you, because worship is giving the Lord a surrendered, pure heart. It's, it's that purity. It's like, it's like a virginal purity of a surrendered heart. That's what worship is. Does Satan want purity? Remember, Satan hates us. He wants to destroy everything that's in us. So worship of Satan always involves sexual immorality. You can go back through time. There's always temple prostitutes. There's always sexual abuse of the innocent and destruction of the innocent. So what is the opposite of sexual abuse? Is it intimate married love? What's the opposite of sexual immorality? Is it intimate married love? No. It is worship of the true God. Sexual, pure sexual love you know, so many people who are caught up in sexual sin, they think, oh, if I get married and I have pure sexual love, I'll be free. But no, because the opposite of sexual immorality is worship of the true God because it is so connected to evil. It is so connected to the worship of Satan. And it's, we have to get that in our spirit because, you know, you will find people that struggle with that 
And they think if I just get married, I'll be free. No, you won't be free. You have to surrender to Jesus. You have to be set free by him. And you have to become a worshiper of the true and living God. Um, so the, um, and another verse you can look at is Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Um, so what happens if someone's sexual abused? How does it change people? Um, they, they have a heartache inside that they can't seem to shake. They have trouble trusting people. They have trouble feeling safe. And believe it or not, they fall into a pattern with predators. And um, until the Lord breaks that pattern, they fall into a pattern of, um, you know, anyway, I'm not going to go further into that. So how do you process sexual abuse? How do you get free from all that? Because we don't want to be broken. We don't want to be heartbroken. We don't want to keep making, choosing the same type of person in our life. So what do we do? Um, in Ephesians 5, it says, I keep trying to read this without my reading glasses, but it's not working. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So remember that word, expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, sleeper, arise, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So you don't, what we all do, what I did with my very little thing was to not tell anyone for 30 years to just keep it hidden. I knew if I told my dad, he would have killed him. And so I did prevent my dad from spending his last years in jail. But what, what do we do? We bring it into the light. We bring it into the light. We process it. We come to the Lord and we say, this is what happened, Lord. Help me to process this. We might go to a counselor. We might go to a trusted friend but we have to walk through that and we have to walk through it with someone who knows the word and someone who has wisdom and is not going to say things that are not true. Now I know that in, I know that it's, I've been in churches before, not members, but like visited churches where they say, you know, we're just going to pray over you and then you're going to be totally set free, you know, and now you need to forgive your accuser. I had a situation where someone told me that they had covered up their brother's sin of sexually abusing a young girl. And the, the elders agreed to that and just let it all be covered up. And the, the abuser apologized and I just, I said, see, abusers don't stop abusing. They keep abusing. They don't stop. They just don't. They keep going. And every time it's worse because 
they're starting, then they get more, then they get more. So never, ever, ever keep it hidden. If it's possible to go to the police, go to the police. Because not only are you bringing it into the light so that the Lord can heal you, but you're protecting other people. So please remember that abusers don't stop. They really don't. And there, there are some, I'm sure, that have been set free. I would never trust any of them, of course. But you could maybe have a relationship with someone who said, this is completely my fault. I did it. I sinned against you. I gave myself over to Satan. Will you please forgive me? That may be sincere. Anything less than that is not a sincere apology. And just because you forgive your abuser does not mean you entrust yourself to them. So, um, you know, anyway. So, if you've been abused, you were a victim, an unwilling participant, and the abuser did an evil thing, and you need to express the anger. The anger is there. If it doesn't come out in the beginning, it will come out later. The anger is there because it's a righteous anger. There is something that cries out over the loss of innocence to yourself. And it is normal. And then people who have been abused need to mourn the loss of their innocence. The perfect things that were supposed to be theirs that were taken away. And mourning again takes time and it is not wrong or selfish or not trusting God to mourn that you have lost something again you are pure you are holy but that protection you've lost um and what time is it I'm gonna just um I've already talked about a lot of the lies with sexual abuse, so I'm not going to get into that. Um, but some of the lies are, this is my fault. I should have stopped it. And then once it's over, no one is safe. I can't trust anyone. All of those are lies. So if you're believing this is my fault, read Matthew 18, 1 through 6. I should have stopped it, Matthew 18, 1 through 6. And no one is safe, First Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. Because in verse 11 and 12, Jesus says, I'll teach you to love one another. Paul is writing the letter and he says, but you yourselves will be taught by loving one another. You don't have to be, that's the passage I read about sexual morality and learning to control your body in a way that's holy and honorable. That can be, um, you know, you can move out of that realm. People can move out of that realm and learn to love one another and learn to, um, God will teach us. So the beautiful exchange is that our brokenness becomes whole. Jesus makes us whole, and it's a process. We have to process what happened. We have to grieve. We have to 
somehow express the anger and allow the Lord to help us get rid of the anger. Stuffing things down only means this. You will be physically ill or eventually it will come exploding out for some other reason. I'm just being honest with you guys. Um, so Jesus read this passage and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And of course, please read all of that. Isaiah 67, one through seven, but I want to talk about what it means to bind up the brokenhearted. What happens? I loved orthopedic nursing, you know, broken bones and then you put them in traction, you, you know, you, and they grow back together. And bones are so fascinating because there first is this crack and then the, it starts to heal. And then pretty soon it's like they're brand new. And I told you about my pelvis before, how my pelvis was shattered in little pieces. And then when I saw it on an x-ray, it was all fitted back together. And that's a picture for you. God wants us to process it, and then he wants to fit it all back together. And will, in, in my x-ray, you could see the line with every single little crack as it fit together. It looked like a jigsaw puzzle. It didn't look the way it looked before. But... It was more beautiful to me than a perfect pelvis. Because I know that my Jesus has scars in heaven. Because he told Thomas to touch them. And then he ascended to the Father. And he has scars in heaven. And so I love those little lines in my pelvis. And I love the scars from my accident because they mean that Jesus took something horrible and he healed my body. And Jesus wants to heal our souls. He wants to heal our bodies. If there's sickness because of this, he wants to heal the sickness if there is brokenness, trust issues, he wants to heal that. And so often, this is what we do with the Lord. We come close, and then we go away, and then we come close, and then we go away. And when he starts to put his finger on those spots that hurt, we run as hard as we can the other way. And I think I shared this recently with someone. I went through the windshield of a car and I had this huge scar on my ankle. Well, actually, there was no scar. You could see the bone and you could see what was left of the muscle. And after two weeks, a very thin layer of skin grew over that. And my plastic surgeon came in and he ripped it off. Now... I cannot tell you how much that hurt. It was truly the most painful thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And I was so angry at him. I said, why did you do that? And he said, because if I didn't 
rip that off, it would never heal properly. So my question to you is, are you willing for the Lord to rip off the scar so that you can heal correctly? Because God has freedom for you and beauty for you that is much more beautiful than was originally intended. Because see, when something horrible happens that is from the enemy, and then the Lord comes in and heals it, it is so much more beautiful because it has the touch of Jesus. And I believe that his scars are more beautiful in heaven than his hands were on earth. Because he surrendered to the Lord and the Lord raised him up. And the Lord wants to raise you up. It's not a superficial work. It is a deep work. And if you ever talk to someone that has been abused, do not tell them it's a superficial thing. It is a deep thing. And so many of your sisters across the world have gone through it. Um, and I would beg you, as your mommy in the Lord... <laughs> to stay safe. Stay safe. Keep other people safe. So what do I mean by that? If someone gives you the creeps, don't ever be alone with them. In fact, I would just not really be close to them. You kind of know something. You can sense stuff. Right? Someone should always know where you are and where you're going and who you're with. I don't care if you're 50. Mikulani, your kids should know where you are and where you're going. Mary, your kids should know where you are and where you're going. And Molly and Sonia, someone needs to know where you are so that I'm not saying you're like little kids. Brooklyn, your mom should always know where you are and who you're with. And it's because that's a protection for you. Because this is the truth. We live in a fallen world. And there are people out there who are evil. That's just the bottom line. And we need to protect one another. So be wise. Be wise. We had a rule in our house that we don't allow. I'm not alone with the opposite sex. Mike's not alone in the opposite sex. And now after so many stories I've heard, I'm not even sure if I should be alone with my own sex, you know, I mean, the world is becoming so crazy. But um, I had someone in my life who just kept asking if two of my daughters could go with him somewhere. And I know we'll be alone, but it's okay. And I say, you know what? And I trusted this person. I said, you know, I just don't compromise. Like, that's our rule. I just don't compromise. Sorry, you know. And if I do compromise, my husband will kill me. <laughs> But I just don't. Like, that's just a rule we set up to protect ourselves, you know, from falling into any temptation and protect our children, keep them safe. And so later, I found out this person was a pedophile. <laughs> Never knew. Super nice person. 
So don't just ask the Lord for standards for your life and don't flinch. Stand firm. Don't apologize. If you're a parent, God will give you standards for your children. You don't have to explain them. You don't. You don't. I look back at my years, the only thing I would have done different is be more protective, to be honest. You know? And I felt like I was pretty protective. Um, okay. Um, and again, I just want to um, reaffirm this again. Always encourage people to call the police and report abusers. Abusers always keep abusing. They do not stop. It doesn't matter what they tell you. So, you know, at the very least, if someone maybe spends a month in jail and that's all, at the very least, they're on a list and someone can know. And don't assume guys are safe. I've talked to plenty of men who have been raped. Plenty of men who have been sexually abused. So don't assume you protect the guys too. Protect everyone. So now this is so somber. So this is how I'm going to end it. Okay? Because you know me. Like, wow. God takes the most horrible things ever that could happen to us and he turns them completely around because we serve a God who is leading us to war. And you know what it makes me, every time I talk to someone who's been sexually abused, you know what it makes me want to do? Kick in the gates of hell and rescue captives. I'm tired of the enemy plundering women that I love, women that I don't even know. I want to rescue them all. You know, if I, if I had a machine gun, sorry, you know, I, I don't own guns, but if I had a machine gun and I was really fit, I would go in places and I would rescue, you know, I'd shoot all the, oh, I shouldn't say that, erase this. Anyway, um, Marla, delete all this. Okay, so I would, you know, I would rescue every woman, every young man that's being abused, and I would take them all home, and I would teach them about Jesus, and you guys would be sharing the room, of course, because we'd have so many people. I would just, I just want them, I want the devil to stop winning, and I want Jesus to start winning in every person's life. He has won in your life, and he's begun a good work, and he's going to carry it on to completion. And he is not done with you. And you can trust him. You can trust him. And God is not finished. And he wants to do something incredibly beautiful in your life. So do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And not when God heals your heart, he will use you in a mighty way to heal others' hearts. Amen?